I'd like to welcome everyone to the Florence Weinberg Show. Frank McKay here. So much more importantly, the author of 15 books. I always say 16, but 15 books and counting. Her memoir will be out soon. And she's the subject of a documentary and our host each and every week on radio and uh, podcast outlets all over the place. Frank McKay here. Much more importantly, Doc, how are you? I'm doing fine. Thank you, Frank. And I know you're a little bit stuffed up from having had COVID, for which I am very sorry because it's hard to get rid of all those symptoms but I know you're getting better, so at least that's a, that's good news. Yeah, I, I feel much better. Gratitude. I, <laughs> gratitude because I was in pain uh, the other day just on, on bruised ribs from the coughing, but uh, all in all, not too bad. Uh, how are you doing, and, and what have you been concentrating on? Um, well, we have been having a terrible drought and terrible heat wave in Texas, as uh, has probably been publicized all over, all over the United States anyway. And I got to thinking, uh, I've been watching the grass that, uh, that I planted early in the spring uh, try to struggle back to life with limited success. And uh, I was just thinking about the problems of water and the lack thereof uh, in this country generally, except back east where people have access to Great Lakes and things like that. <laughs> so uh, there's no water problem in New York City, for instance, or on Long Island. Um, but there certainly is here. So I thought I would talk about our dwindling water supply, uh, especially in the West, because most of the West is dependent on the Colorado River, which is dying. So anyway, I thought I would give that a try and uh, and talk about it and let people know what the uh, problem is and how serious it is. Yeah, I, I don't think everyone knows. I certainly am no expert on the Colorado River, uh, but uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, this is a great subject. Uh, potable water is, uh, is, is a, a serious subject, and you know, especially when you get to your neck of the woods. Right. So go ahead, please. Yeah, kind of give us a little fill-in. All right, I will just start then. <laughs> um, this is my own story. I live in San Antonio, Texas, as people probably know by now, uh, and I have suffered through a summer uh, that was the hottest summer on record, um, and. In early April, so last April, around, I'd say, the 8th or 9th of the month, so very early, I made a snap decision. A crew of Hispanic landscapers were going door to door looking for work. And I have a large backyard, probably about an eighth of an acre, that had lost all of its grass cover over years of drought and no watering system back there. My front lawn where I could afford a watering system once upon a time, was surviving with some bare spots. But the backyard was a disaster. So I talked with the landscapers in Spanish, and, and I learned that they were selling instant turf of Bermuda grass. And I know that Bermuda is hardy and drought resistance, resistant, so I made a snap decision to install some. 
and the deed was done. The entire lawn was replaced and beautifully done the next day. I proudly watered it and I had wonderful luck, which was helped by good abundant spring rains that we had here in San Antonio. <clears throat> but before the month was over, it gave me, and I should say not but, and before the month was over, it gave me much pleasure and brought many compliments from all everybody who saw it. But unfortunately, I was scheduled to have my right hip replaced on April 25th. And about that same time, unusually hot weather began uh, all over the all over Texas, really, and all rain ceased. The lawn that had flourished beautifully in the meantime began to suffer from the unrelenting sun and 80 days, that's eight zero days, of temperatures of 100 degrees and more, got up to 108, 112. San Antonio was placed under uh, second degree, second stage water restrictions, which means that we were able to water only once each week on a designated day and set times, and we were limited to one hour per watering. With such heat and no rain, that was not enough. The grass withered and turned brown. Now in January, cooler weather has brought uh, nearly half of the grass back to life, but large patches remain either dead or dormant. My time was indeed poor for such a venture with my landscape. My situation here in San Antonio is not unusual. Established lawns all went dormant too, but with the more generous winter rains that have already begun, most of them are now revived, or nearly so, and San Antonio suburbs are green again all around me. <laughs> although, yeah, although this past summer was the hottest on record by far, San Antonio is still lucky because we are located over a vast aquifer called the Edwards Aquifer that until recently was almost the only source of water for every use in the city. Um, and since the drought has continued for the past decade or so at varying intensity. San Antonio has adopted a rationing program to save water and to save the aquifer. When the level falls below a certain number of feet, stage one is declared, which allows us to water our lawns twice a week. And we're now in stage two and watering uh, is allowed only once and for limited times either in the morning or in the evening, but not both. And watering with a hand hose is always permitted. But I found with a sore healing replaced hip joint, standing in the 100 degree plus sun with a hose or even 90 degrees in the, in the shade, that uh, was not possible for long enough to do the grass any good. And now that fall and winter weather have come, the uh, the situation has eased with more rainfall and cooler temperatures, but the damage is done, I'm, I'm afraid to say. <clears throat> the aquifer is replenished by rainfall that seeps through the ground to refill some of, some of what is drained by city use. A severe problem here is that laws protecting the Edwards Aquifer recharge zone 
are antiquated and lax, allowing developers in particular to build housing developments, box stores, garages, and other polluting units over the recharge area. I'm told that not only is our water now impure, needing to be filtered and with added chlorine, we are also now drinking tiny plastic particles. Plastic may not decay, but it does degrade into smaller and smaller particles that can cause severe damage to digestive systems. This poisonous process is also happening in our oceans, of course. When I moved to San Antonio in 1989, Edwards water was pure and tasted wonderful with no additives. Now I use my own water purifier machine before I drink tap water. We have dirtied our own nest. My little example of gardening woes started me problems of the availability of water across all the western United States. Droughts do happen from time to time in the natural course of weather patterns, but because of global warming, they have become more frequent and threatened to leave large western cities in water crisis, including for drinking water. At least 37% of the United States and Puerto Rico are in drought. The West is most heavily heavily stricken since seven states, and those are Arizona, California, New Mexico, Utah, Nevada, Colorado, and Wyoming. Those seven states depend almost entirely on the Colorado River to supply them with water and Uh, and the Colorado is supplying them with at least 25% less water than they normally use. The shrinking flow of that river is due to shrinking sources. Lakes Powell and and Mead um, uh, are those sources. In an article written late last July, Kristen Holder wrote uh, on this problem. Lake Powell in northern uh, Arizona and Utah is an artificial dam created, created dam created lake. It's called Glen Canyon. Glen Canyon Dam is the second largest reservoir in the United States. The lake has suffered from the drought that has plagued the western United States since the year 2000. Climate change has worsened the problem and the drought has become unprecedented. Uh, It's now considered a mega drought that has uh, spanned decades, the driest it has been in a thousand years. Uh, And people simply don't know this. And if they do, they just blow it off. But it's it's worse now than it has been for a thousand years and maybe longer than that. Because, of course, we have no definite records. Mm The Colorado is one of the main lifelines in the West. For example, 90% of drinking water in several big cities is supplied by the river, which is regulated subject to the laws of the federal government as interpreted by the seven states it serves. And that becomes very complicated in reconciling the laws of each sovereign state So a new set of rules is said to be coming by 2029, but that's a long time from now considering the rate of degeneration of the situation. 
Maintaining drinking water is, of course, of the highest priority for the survival of millions of residents. The situation in California, Nevada, and Arizona has led to the three states making a pact around water conservation and consumption to preserve the resource for everyone. Maintaining enough water to service Arizona is one of the primary concerns about Colorado River projects, including Lake Lakes, uh, Lake Powell. But despite Arizona and Nevada and uh, California coming to a conservation agreement, Utah is trying to move ahead with a pipeline that would divert more water from the overtaxed river. If this pipeline is put into place, it could affect more than 30 million people downstream. Lake Powell is now 100 feet shallower than it was a decade ago and is around 25% capacity. Snow melt in the upper Colorado watershed has dwindled because of warmer winters and lack of snowfall. Inflows this summer were, uh, were predicted Excuse me. Um, yeah, we'll have to uh, we'll have to patch this. Don't worry. Inflows this summer were predicted to be at only 69% of normal. When the lake is where it's supposed to be, it holds enough water to lay a foot of water over Kentucky. <laughs> this is an, uh, an odd thing to say. Um, so the... Uh, Lake Powell could uh, flood the entire state of Kentucky to a foot a foot deep. <laughs> a full lake also boasts more coastline than the entire U.S. Pacific coast. However, efforts are being made to restore the water levels in uh, in Lake Mead before levels are restored in Lake Powell. Um, and that's a, that quotation about Kentucky and restoring Lake Mead, which is downstream from Lake Powell, uh, which uh, the attention is directed to Lake Mead before Lake Powell, which seems a little bit counter-logical to me. Another major problem is that Lake Powell uh, generates the electric power to run the cities that depend on it for 90% of their drinking water. Water levels have, failed, have fallen so low that one power plant had to be shut down. The dam has lost around 16% of its ability to produce power, which put uh, millions of people in jeopardy. In my source article, written last July, predicted that if the conditions didn't improve with the, uh, with the decrease in water level, the dam might lose the ability to produce any power by January. It's now January, and I haven't heard of Western cities going dark, thank heaven. Right. However, the lake has never been as low as now since its inception over 50 years ago. <laughs> However, the lake has never been as low as now since its inception over 50 years ago. A separate problem is that the Native Americans who live on reservations are supposed to control control one-fifth of the water that goes through the Colorado River. There are 20, 34 tribes. However, tribes are often not consulted, of course, as usual, 
when water manage management issues are decided. And this has led to problems with the accessibility of fresh water and electricity in many tribal homes. Then there's Lake Mead. It has been rated to be at stage one of water shortage, which is better than Lake Powell's stage two. And mm -hmm. uh, its water level currently is at, at, is at 1,065 feet, which is 19 feet above the all-time low of 1,046 feet. At its lowest level, wrecked boats and corpses of long-dead drowned people were discovered in the mud flats revealed by the shrinking shorelines. The federal government's Southern Nevada Water Authority has decreed that Nevada will have to slash 21,000 acre feet of consumption of Colorado River water supply in 2024, or 7% of the state's yearly apportionment. And Mexico must, which also draws from the Colorado, uh, Mexico must uh, cut 80,000 acre feet of water supply from the Colorado, or about 5% of the country's total annual portion. However, Lake, Lake Powell and Lake Mead, the two largest reservoirs in the Colorado River system, remain historically low. However, as we experience warmer, drier uh, weather in the West due to climate change, the Bureau of Reclamation is committed to leading inclusive and transparent efforts to develop the next generation's plan for managing the water system. And this is a quote from them, um, according to a spokesperson. Uh, and the quote goes on, the system is approaching a tipping point, and without action, we cannot protect the system and the millions of Americans who rely on this critical resource, unquote. Okay, so it sounds pretty, pretty bleak right now. Yeah. And then there's the Midwest, uh, so most of the rest of the country west of the Mississippi and some east of it, uh, Nebraska, Kansas, Missouri, Iowa, Indiana, and Ohio are also experiencing exceptional drought. There is no other uh, source of water other than rainfall for these states, and rainfall has been severely lacking. These conditions have stunted the growth of grain of all kinds, including corn and, uh, and wheat, and only soybeans have made it through relatively unscathed. This means that there is a shortage of feed for, for beef cattle, which forces farmers to sell off their cattle at younger ages and uh, at lighter weights. And logically, this also leads to less beef on the market and higher prices for beef, which have uh, risen over a dollar a pound for uncooked steak. This, according to Trevor Hughes in USA Today. And then Hughes turns to another aspect of the problem in an article from The Nation written in March. He reviews the current ideas on how to meet the scarcity of water due to climate change. He begins by stating that the that the United States has plenty of drinking water, it's just in the wrong place. <laughs> uh, and he outlines um, the situation, and I'm quoting him, uh, and 
I'm going to have to get the cat off. Yeah, um, take your time. Here again, are you ready? News turns to another aspect of the problem in an article from The Nation written last March. He reviews the current ideas on how to meet the scarcity of water due to climate change. He begins by stating that the United States has plenty of drinking water. It's just in the wrong place. He outlines the situation, and I'm quoting him. The problem, colon, the Colorado River is drying up from drought and overuse. It's the literal lifeblood of the West. These these are um, uh, these are these dots uh, in the margin of each of these headings. That was the heading was the problem. The next heading is a rainy year doesn't solve the water crisis. Rain and snow, particularly in California, has offered temporary relief to water worries, but experts say the water demand in the West is set to keep exceeding supply unless major conservation efforts successfully roll out. And another another uh, dot here, uh, demand remains high. Native American tribes increasingly demand their legal rights to water. Fast-growing Phoenix and Las Vegas are consuming more water to support development, and California and Arizona farmers are under increasing pressure to keep food costs low and production high. Then Hughes lists the present ideas on increasing available drinking water, which as experts agree are desperate long shots. First of all, draining the Great Lakes. The Great Lakes continue 29% of available surface fresh water in the world. 29% of available fresh water in the world. Why not divert water from them to the Colorado River? Or divert the Mississippi River into Lake Powell? First, says Hughes, because you would need a pipeline about 1,000 miles long, longer than even the Trans-Alaska oil pipeline, which is 800 miles long, and you'd have to pump it up 1,000 feet or more to cross the Continental Divide. And secondly, because water diversions are barred by the Great Lakes Compact, an agreement between the eight contiguous states, along, but, uh, along with the agreement between the U.S. and Canada. So the next uh, bright idea is nuclear-powered desalination plants. And this is a proven technology used in areas with limited drinking water, like Tel Aviv, and Saudi Arabia, and California also has several. Desalination, he says, is massively energy draining made by either boiling salt water and capturing the steam, or by pumping it through special membranes under high pressure called reverse osmosis. Also, dumping vast quantities of salt into the environment is problematic, to say the least. And another uh, way of powering these plants, desalinization plants, would be solar arrays to power desalinization. This is still experimental and would demand square miles of solar panels. Okay, so it is impractical, yeah. and it is expensive. 
Uh, and then there is another bright idea, which is to harvest icebergs. <laughs> In other words, you lasso a floating iceberg and tow it to a place that needs fresh, pure water. Jeez. About 75% of Earth's fresh water is frozen in glaciers, although they are melting at an incredible rate. No one has yet figured out a practical way to, to tow an iceberg <laughs> to another location yeah. before it melts in warm seawater. So, That's funny. Yeah, so then we have <laughs> chopping down forests, and this, to me, is the craziest idea of all. After all, trees are one of our best hopes for cleaning the air of carbon dioxide. So those arguing for eliminating trees say that a single tree needs about 11,000 gallons of water annually, and that's a lot. Eliminating trees would allow the water to be used directly by humans instead. They quote the National Science Foundation in 2018 whose study found that over a nearly 20-year period, starting in the late 1990s, a wildfire burned forest allowed an extra 20 billion gallons of water to flow through the Kings and American River basins. The study was based on losing half of the trees in a given area. However, wildfires cause massive pollution, including carbon accelerating climate change. And logging, rather than burning, would be attacked by the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, on the grounds of damage to wildlife habitat. Okay, so I have my own idea that I'm going to offer now, and mm -hmm. this is, I suppose, partly comic, but, uh, but here <laughs> I go. <laughs> so my own, my harebrained idea. I have lately been reporting on amazing, almost miraculous inventions that are now being installed word worldwide for isolating carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. These processes, and now there are several pro approaches to that work, they either turn carbon dioxide into a liquid, a liquid fuel that is right now being burned at the Zurich airport and by at least two of its affiliated airlines. Uh, it is equivalent in, um, uh, in uh, energy production uh, to, uh, to diesel fuel, the, t the fuel that does right now um, uh, serve uh, airplanes. Uh, and, uh, and apparently Zurich has found that it is very efficient and it's much cleaner also. Or else, uh, carbon dioxide is being transformed into stone that can be buried deep underground, and I imagine it could be used for building as well. Um, and this means that we are already able to transform air into liquid or something much more solid. As a part of natural pro uh, the natural process, clouds do the job already of converting air into water in the form of rain. Surely, similar scientific processes could be used to draw air in large quantities into a device that would isolate the H2O. <clears throat> that, that would mean that at any location on Earth, water could be produced out of air. And that would solve the water problem of the West, of the Sahara Desert, of Death Valley, 
any where. Wow. <laughs> and I'm wondering if there are already scientists at work out there doing just that very thing. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, that is it, that is what I have to say for the day. Well, listen, it, it, to me, I know you're half joking, but I mean, uh, I'm sure somebody is working on that, right? I'm sure I, I would I would like to think that somebody is working on on that you know, since this is a major problem that we have. Um, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, and if, if yeah, and if we are going to fill the world with these uh, different plants that can change air into uh, uh, it can take the carbon dioxide out of the air. Isolate it, uh, if you please, which is already unthinkable, um, <laughs> and then turn it into something else, a liquid or a solid. Uh, which can be used for other purposes and does not pollute and does not pose a storage problem, uh, which is another big deal if, uh, if you're isolating carbon dioxide in some other form like, like liquid and you don't have an, a use for that liquid. Uh, but, uh, but we have long known how to seed clouds. Uh, I'm not sure what we were seeding them with. Um, oh. And uh, sometimes that works, and you get a, a little bit of rain from a from a uh, likely-looking cloud. And that's been going on since the 1940s, I think. The planes have gone up and dropped these uh, uh, these salt particles or whatever they are in uh, in clouds, and then get get a little moisture out of it. But that was an extremely primitive process and sort of hit and miss. Um, and with the technology that we have now, it seems to me it would be much simpler to isolate H2O from, uh, from the air than to isolate carbon dioxide. So why not do it in, in a large scale if, if they're already doing carbon dioxide, which we have to do. We're mandated to do it. Yeah, I, I mean, I I agree with you, and also since that process, I remember it uh, from a cartoon when I was a, a child, a cartoon that came out in the in the '60s, and they talked about yeah. uh, you know the seeding the uh, seeding the clouds uh, to create uh, rain from happening, and you know if that was going on since the, and I was born in 1967, but if that was going on 20 years prior to my birth, uh, I've got to believe that they've um, that they've uh, become experts on on that type of thing. I, I just want to add, um, it, you know, we're talking about water here. We're talking about you know, like you know, fresh water, uh, and and just any water um, around the world, around the world, and especially in in third world countries, uh, the there is a there's an issue of of potable water, and uh, you know, in other words, drinkable water. Uh, yeah. So, in other words, there's there's swamp water and then there's drinkable water. Uh, a gentleman named De- Dean Kamen, Dean Kamen, he uh, he invented the Segway. I don't know if you know what the Segway is. It's a um, it's it's something they they ride on. The mall cops ride on it. It's kind of a um, device that's like a scooter, but they just kind of cruise around on it, right? But anyway, he he. Uh, he had tremendous success with that, and he's also involved in in children, um, and and the rocketry programs that are going on in the 
in, uh, in schools all across uh, America and all across the world. But anyway, Dean Kamen invented a device called Slingshot. I don't know if it's called the Slingshot or Slingshot. And what it does, it, it's about the size of a small refrigerator. It supposedly creates, uh, it creates a, a device, uh, it, it is a device, that takes swamp water and turns it into pure, beautiful drinking water. And uh-huh. a, a gentleman named Paul Lazarus, uh, and I, I did a series on this, you know, with, uh, with them, on it just, uh, you know, as it came up. Paul Lazarus uh, was famous for, for doing sitcoms um, uh, as a director, and then he got involved with Dean Kamen and, and got involved with a very serious, um, very serious aspect of uh of this and he was filming uh this program uh you know it, this i'm sorry this a uh, documentary and he, and he did and it did very well called uh, slingshot and uh, i haven't followed up on on how it's going but that's a whole other subject the idea of of water and then you know pure water you know or, or purified yes, water right. is is a completely yeah, different have. subject but it's related <laughs> Yeah, you've got water everywhere, but not a drop to drink. And it's sort of like being at sea. <laughs> you can't drink the water. I mean, it's the rhyme of the ancient mariner. He looks around him as as he is gasping for water on ship, and he's the only survivor, and says, water, water everywhere, but nor any drop to drink. Uh, and that is also true of people who live r- near swamps. Because the water is full of bacteria and amoebas and heaven knows what uh, that could ream out your entire uh, digestive system in a few days uh, if you drank it straight. And so it really is life-saving to have these devices that purify it. So, uh, yeah, we've we've got to do this. Uh, We've got to, uh, to... aid the people who live in swampy areas, which is large portions of India and and other low-lying areas, which are fast being swamped, by the way, by sea rise, thanks to climate change. Yeah. Uh, And and, uh, then there are, of course, the the areas of extreme drought. So since 2000, we've had Drought, either um, normal sort of drought or extreme drought uh, over the West, to the point uh, that I've been talking about all this time today. You know, when I think of when I think of uh, slingshot or or you know cleansing this swamp water or this uh, this non-potable water, um, I th- I think of third world countries. What you're talking about is something that's much closer to home. I mean, you're talking about, uh, you know, the Colorado River and what the drying up of the Colorado River means to us, to everyday people. We're talking about we're not from a third world country, uh, you know, although, uh, I, you know, hopefully we won't we won't turn a corner <laughs> in, the, in the year or two coming up uh, and, and start behaving like a third world country. But uh, but we um, uh, we are not a third world country. We're, you know, a superpower. And uh, and and we're talking about having a problem with a water shortage. It, it's it's really unthinkable if uh, if you you know just look back. I mean, historically, I know there's been droughts over the years in California, and and when you 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 know read the list of of um, 
of states and you know Nevada and and Arizona you're talking about very hot states and your own in in Texas uh, so you would understand why there would be that that problem but uh, you know to me it's uh, it's an unthinkable it's an unthinkable problem um, or at least at one time an unthinkable uh, problem that you're bringing home doc in a uh, in you know, to make it a very serious subject, uh, we have a we have a drinking water problem. Uh, it's 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 a major thing, and it's uh, it's not to be taken lightly. All right, now there was publicity recently about salt uh, about the Great Salt Lake uh, that is drying up and leaving margins of pure salt uh, all around it, and uh, the. The rainfall there, of course, in Utah, is simply not not materialized. So the uh, the lake cannot be refilled. Uh, it's the same thing with the Colorado River and Lake Powell's and lakes, I should say, Powell and Mead. Uh, the watershed is is not supplying them with bread and enough fresh water to replenish what the cities are draining out of them, and. Uh, uh, those cities that are entirely dependent on that river are really in trouble. So yeah. that's what I wanted to get across. Eh? What is the solution? And this, uh, all those solutions that this man Hughes uh, mentioned are almost laughable. They're so absurd. Yeah. Uh, to bring eastern water, which is abundance, uh, as in the Great Lakes, uh, to the West, just simply, uh, there's no easy way of doing it. A thousand miles of of uh, pipeline that would also have to go a thousand miles into the air in order yeah. to cross the, the continental divide. Uh, uh, it just can't, you know, it's not feasible. You, you know, cost trillions. You know, it's not it's not feasible. But one day in our future, and maybe not so near future maybe 100 years uh, it, it may be a solution that we need to have um if we don't come up with something better than that and it, it may be a pipeline and if you can think of that it's just an amazing thought that uh, uh that that we would have to do that we would have to import water to uh to our hotter states our, our more western states um it's um i i i agree i it, we should have a better solution with all the the great minds we have but i you know you've yeah. you've been successful uh in in hosting here in uh in finding problems that uh, that are real problems and and you know problems that we would at one point take uh completely for granted and not uh and and not pay attention uh to it but these are these are real problems uh you know it was it was funny uh we talked about lassoing an iceberg and dragging the iceberg uh it, you know over but i mean it's it, it's not any crazier than some of the other uh than than some of the other thoughts uh, i've got to believe um maybe it's seeding the clouds or it's uh i you know i mean a device um a, you know, a device of of uh, removing salt from from you know seawater, and we have plenty of seawater. <laughs> you know, we, uh, we have abundance of seawater. I mean, is there uh, is, is there such a is there such a situation? 
Well, uh, there isn't now. I mean, the, of course, clouds do it as, yeah. as, in that, as a routine event and have done it for millions of years. Uh, but uh, what we have to do, it seems to me, I mean, that was my final suggestion, that, yeah. that we create a machine that can uh, remove uh, the, the components of water, which is H2O, from the air, just as carbon dioxide is removed from the air, and turn it into water. Uh, combine it and turn it into water. And if if that could be done on a large scale, there could be such a plant uh, at Lake Powell to fill it up again, and Lake Mead, uh, yeah. so the Colorado River could flow in, at its usual level again. And then, uh, then problem solved. Yeah. Uh, but it would have to take uh, one of the listeners uh, who is scientifically inclined to create such a machine and make a billion dollars out of it uh, yeah. and benefit the whole, the whole of the Western United States. Yeah, uh, but you want to know something? It's uh, crazier things are being done and more complicated things are being done. And, and I'm no scientist, but uh, I've got to believe, um, you know, with all that has been going on, um, uh, you know, from a scientific standpoint, if if they can do that, if they can create that kind of situation, um, you know, I mean, it's it's the type of thing that um, uh, that it will solve problems, uh, you know, that that have been millennial, uh, you know, years old, and you know, we're talking about uh, you know what the droughts that we've had over the years. And, and the great droughts, I don't mean just, you know, minor droughts. I, I'm talking what, what happened in, in, you know, Somalia and, and uh, Ethiopia. And, uh, it, you know, if, if they could figure out a way to, uh, to do that, uh, it, it solves uh, world problems forever. Right. Absolutely. So, it, it, listen, yeah. it's a great... Uh, just a, a a great issue to come up uh, with. Hopefully, we'll hear something from somebody listening. And you know, I don't know how uh, how many scientists we have out there listening, but uh, if if they are listening, uh, you know, we would love to hear any suggestions on this. Yes, yeah, it may already be um, be out there. Uh, such such an idea. I mean, it's an obvious idea. <laughs> Because I think that extracting carbon dioxide from the air is more complicated uh, than extracting H2O. Um, so uh, may it be done and done quickly. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, great job, Doc. As always, uh, wonderful job. And um, listen, we're, uh, we're, we're starting a new year. And you know we uh, I know we spoke uh, we spoke last year I, I mean last week the first uh, this is the second time we're actually speaking this year and we have uh, you know a fresh start and you know you talk about resolutions and you talk about all types of things like that uh, the the truth of the matter is uh, is if we if we handle it correctly if the the world if society handles it correctly uh, we could have a very bright future with everything that's going on and the information that's that's flowing between people and and uh, you know continents we have a uh, 
a tremendous opportunity to to do these things. And if we don't get in, uh, get bogged down in nonsense and uh, you know social de- divisive social issues and. Uh, and we don't, uh, you know, just start pounding away at each other and create hatred and worrying about, uh, you know, blocking off our our fellow human beings and treating them like uh, prisoners or non-people. You know, maybe we could we could concentrate on things that will, uh, you know, help society rather than divide us as a society. So uh, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that this is going to be a good year, but not not convinced, but hopeful. Yes, yes, me too. Yes, I second your sentiments uh, thoroughly. Uh, we have to stop tearing, tearing at each other, hating each other, uh, as, uh, belittling each other, and all the rest of us has uh, become sort of every day. Uh, it had become in, uh, in 2023, uh, and as you say, Turn over a new leaf and see if we can get this country back together, as well as trying to uh, cool the hot spots all over the world that are cropping up. Yes. So anyway, we can only hope and do our best. Well, to everybody who didn't catch this last time, Happy New Year to them, and here's to a... Uh, a a much b- better world and a much better year coming forward. Thank you, Doc. Yeah, thank you for letting me say my piece weekly. Yeah, I, and to all of you, we both thank you for uh, listening. We know you have a lot of options, and we thank you very much for, for being here with us each and every week. Uh, Frank McKay signing off, and we'll see you all next time on The Florence Weinberg Show. <laughs>